0: Henry good morning Michelle. how are you this morning it is what day is it Henry I
1: think it is Thursday you're gonna ask me the date today right so no it is no th- date
0: <laughs> don't worry about the date because we're recording this for playback so uh good morning and uh, welcome to geezers of gear episode five wow we've already done four and I actually just checked the stats before I got on here and uh Thanks to all of our listeners, we are actually getting a lot of downloads of this thing. So it's it's pretty exciting when you do something and it actually, uh, I guess, people pay attention. So having fun. Pretty amazing, for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. So first, before we get started, I wanted to uh, cover a couple of things. I have been promoting online uh, another episode that is coming up where we will interview a gentleman named Andrew Gumper from AG Produ- Productions. Andrew was responsible for that mega structure, if you saw it on YouTube or on the news, or maybe you were lucky enough to be at the Super Bowl this past weekend. Andrew built that metal village in which Foo Fighters played and uh, was a huge success. I think it was for DirecTV at the Super Bowl. And um, I actually wrote down a couple stats because it just completely blew me away when I was reading about this structure that Andrew created. And he'll talk all about it when we interview him, of course. But 28,000 man hours of work to put this up and take it down. Um, Over five miles of steel beams were used to put it together. It's over 100 feet tall and is 72,000 square feet. That's incredible. It really is, wait.
1: and I can't wait to get him on and find out how he builds all these sets because obviously he does a bunch of EDM stuff, things like that. Yeah. A- so
0: a- Andrew has really become the king of this quote mega structure uh, idea. So good on him. I know he just recently built a new hundred plus thousand square foot uh, facility in Las Vegas because I actually provided the lighting for that facility and uh he's growing like crazy and he's growing on a really amazing niche business based on these mega structures that he's doing i think actually globally now so i know he's done some in canada all over uh the us as you said with edm festivals but uh obviously now he's getting into some corporate stuff doing these super bowl things you know it's amazing this 72,000 square foot structure was built for a probably 3 or 4 hour concert on saturday Uh, that was just an add on to the Super Bowl, So absolutely incredible stuff. And, uh, looking forward to, to doing that interview. It'll actually probably work out to be our first interview. So that should be fun. So most definitely. Uh, and I've known, I think you have as well, but I've known Andrew a long time and, and just look forward to, uh, I, I like just getting on the phone and talking with him. So doing a somewhat informal interview should be a heck of a lot of fun. Um, Today's episode we are calling Top Gear, and I know that's a ripoff of a popular television show, but we're going to do lots and lots of episodes called Top Gear because I think it's really important. A lot of the people who listen to our podcast are owners, managers, uh, uh, they work in the production industry, and they have large inventories. And um, I know one time our daily blast that we send out, our email blast from Gearsource, I know one time, a gentleman named Louis Racine, who at the time was uh, a big cheese manager in, in Christie Lights, told me that our email blast every day was as important as his morning newspaper. He said, I make my first cup of coffee and I sit and go through that blast because it gives me a barometer on where our equipment values are and what's selling, what's not selling, what people are looking for, et cetera. So um, I think this Top Gear episode, what we're looking to do really is kind of guide our followers and our site users on gear source as to what is the high value gear right now, what people are looking for and certainly what we're selling in higher quantities. Um, and honestly, I think you have one of the, the best experts in the industry, uh, on this podcast, my, my geezer partner here, uh, Henry, <laughs> who's been doing this for a heck of a long, a long time. So, um, I think, uh, you know, there was one other thing I actually wanted to talk about before we jump into Top Gear, is uh, Henry sent me an email this morning that was pretty interesting about um, music and millennials and uh, what they're listening to and and what they remember the most. Uh, Henry, can you maybe uh, enlighten us on that one a little bit? I found yeah, it to absolutely. be a really interesting, interesting article.
1: So everybody in the office always jokes with me about Henry's news of the obscure. So, um... I read quite a bit of news from uh quite a few news aggregators and this one was a particular interest where they pulled spotify data and what they found out with millennials specifically is that they recognized more songs between 1960 and the 1990s than they did between 2000 and 2015. so it's it's kind of funny as you go down the list and you and you look at what songs that they identified. Uh, When a Man Loves a Woman, Percy Sledge, uh, Baby Come Back by Player, The Tide is High by Blondie. Um, These things have incredible, incredible uh, recognition with, you know, the mid-20-year-olds, the millennials right now. and, And
0: the amazing part was, like, they were basically discussing the curve where it dropped off when you got past 1960, and it dropped off when you got to 2000. So, you know, there's this like bell curve that goes from the 60s to the 90s and it drops off on both ends of that.
1: Yeah, that's quite interesting when you think about it. I mean, you know, when you look at performing between the 60s and the 90s, digital pitch correction and things, you know, voice effects, they just started to come in in the 90s. So you when you sang, you actually had to have talent when you wrote, you actually had to have something meaningful. Um, you all had to, you know, everybody had to be able to play musical instruments, again, because pre-recorded stuff, uh, keyboards were just in their infancy when you look at, you know, the 80s and the 90s, right? But sampling only became popular, what, about the mid-1980s, right, where you got good enough quality to be able to put those things onto records. Those are those big, giant vinyl discs that people put needles on, it's a totally different topic. <laughs> Right. Those are making a comeback uh, these days also. So I found that quite interesting. I think that, you know, definitely. And here's where I'm going to sound like a total old fart here. But I think that, yeah, like a geezer. But, you know, I listen to a lot of varieties of music. Obviously, we're all plugged into this business. So we have a broad amount of exposure to it. But overall, the musical talent, minus a few people like, you know, Lady Gaga or Bruno Mars. I mean, Bruno Mars is Wow, what a talent, right? But the overall pool of artists that are just outstanding has dropped off significantly. So you might have a you know a group of 15 or 20 people that are writing the bulk of all the songs and then people are transitioning or different artists are transitioning in and out according to popularity with one or two songs. And I right. know that happened a lot in the 80s, but the pool was a lot larger in the 80s too, right? So, um, yeah, it's, That's a, kind
0: of- it, it's an interesting topic. And also, um, you know, one thing that I've always said, or, you know, for the last probably 25 years is that what is classic music from today? So 20, 30, 40 years from now, like, it was funny when I read that article you sent, the music that you and I listened to grew up listening to the, you know, Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones and the Who and all that stuff. Um, they're calling it the, they're calling it the golden age. And as I was growing up, the golden age was, you know, uh, big band music, the Glenn Miller orchestra and stuff. Exactly. So so now we are part of the golden age, I guess. So, um, but the, the thing that I wanted to mention is that, you know, classic music 40 years, 30 years from now is not going to be Rihanna and and Justin Timberlake, it's going to still probably be the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, the same music we grew up with. And, and, you know, other than the bands that are still surviving, or, you know, Foo Fighters, which is really a band from uh, the 90s, it's made up of people from the 90s, let's say. Um, other than, you know, the the Aerosmiths who are still surviving and Def Leppard and, and some of those real uh, bands with real longevity, you know, there's nothing today that you're going to remember 20 years from now or 25 years from now or I can't really think of much. I can't see Taylor Swift being played on classic rock stations in 40 years. So um, I don't know. I read another... Enough-
1: I read another interesting article the other day that DJ Tiesto that spins at Omnia nightclub in uh, the MGM in Las Vegas, currently that's his kind of like his house gig, he has now become the Wayne Newton of music, or people actually physically go there to party all night in that nightclub for the 25 to 35 year olds now. So this is, you know, the DJs now have kind of replaced this. And I don't know really where that fits in with, with playing live music, but he certainly has quite a large following it was another one of those interesting uh, articles that you read it's kind of like wow this is you know our industry has really made a transition now in terms yeah, of yeah like I, I read is. the
0: same article and you know the the neat thing about that is that the vegas transition from uh, a city that relied on gamblers only really has has transitioned into an entertainment venue a very large entertainment venue and these nightclubs you know they're making gazillions of dollars on these table service and bottle service and, you know, these, these mega DJs who are doing these residencies in Vegas, uh, you know, it's become a really, really big deal. So anyways, I mean, it's, I just found it to be an interesting article you sent this morning. And, um, you know, certainly my son, as much as he says, and he's 14 years old, he says he hates all of the music that I listen to. But as soon as, you know, carry on our wayward son comes on the radio, he's singing right along with it and knows all the words to it. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny to see, and before it became popular through the movie, it's funny to see a 14-year-old kid who knows every word to Bohemian Rhapsody and turns it up every time it comes on and sings along with it. Uh, yet he says, you know, that rap is the future and hip-hop is the only music that exists and all this stuff. So, um, you know, I get it. It completely makes sense, that article. So... With that, let's, let's jump in a bit to, uh, you and I promised each other that we were going to try and stay to 20 minutes. We're already 12 minutes in, Henry. <laughs> um, so let's jump into our episode today, which, as I said, we are calling Top Gear. Okay, so what we're going to be talking about is really two different categories of what's important to companies who own and make a living from owning uh, production gear. And, you know, the values who, who follow the values of that gear and the trends. And uh, it's, it's a very, very important topic for companies. And we discussed this, I think, in episode two or three, when we talked about, uh, you know, an old timer in our industry, Don Stern, who was the king of selling things as soon as they got to be two years old. And it didn't make sense to anyone around him, but his gear was always the freshest. So it's really important to companies who we service at GearSource, our users, our buyers and sellers. It's very important that they know what's hot and what's not and when it's going to be hot and follow those trends. It's almost like the stock market. If you're trading stocks, you need to know when they're going to go up or down. If you're trading gear through GearSource, you need to know when it's going to go up or down. So we we kind of broke it down into two categories and had our our, uh, internal ops team provide us with a couple of reports and one was what's uh, trending on search. And so when we're talking about search, we're talking about what's being searched most on our website and on gearsource.com. And then the second is top quantities sold by our stock item name. So meaning, you know, if it was a Mac 2000, that's the stock item name. So it's not necessarily an individual listing that comes from a particular seller. It's a stock item. It's a a type of product, a brand of product and and that that exact product, I guess, but not not the exact listing from a particular seller. So, again, top quantity sold, not necessarily dollar value and the um, what's selling and searching uh category or i'm sorry what search what is what are the top searches uh being made on our website so with that henry uh i mean you've looked down through these lists and and so have i what what are you seeing as far as trends and and uh patterns and if you owned a sound or lighting company what would you be looking for well, so I,
1: I sorted this a bunch of different ways when we got the reporting in yesterday. So there was definitely some rather unique information that came out of this. When I look at things like top quantities of gear sold, <clears throat> it's all name branded stuff. You know, I see L Acoustics, I see JBL, I see Crown, I see uh, Martin Lighting. Uh, there's some Chave stuff in that. Uh, believe it or not, you know, high quality uh theatrical lighting you know there's altman stuff mixed in there which you know altman is stuff is built like a brick so it has an incredible amount of long longevity so you know i would have thought by this point that you know a lot of the non-branded chinese gear would have come in and you know overtaken that because the gear is virtually disposable but there is still a relative high demand for quality product that lasts a long time so that was one of the first things that i gleaned out of that list for sure right right um, yeah sorry so you know interestingly enough also what i also got out of that in you know searching things uh or manipulating the data a little bit i've also found that you know sound companies these days that had you know, uh, SB-1000s and KF-850 boxes, and the older point-and-shoot boxes have made the transition onto Line Array, and these are for the developing companies there, the small, you know, garage outfits and people operating out of mini-storage warehouses or 2,000-square-foot facilities. Uh, interestingly enough now, the subwoofers that are being sold right now, you know, l Acous6 SB-28s, uh, Vertec 4880s, Things like that—they are—they have replaced the EAW SB1000s. They've replaced the Electrovoice manifold cabinets. So uh, that was relatively interesting, and the same applies to the top boxes. Also, again, a lot, a lot of line array stuff, and uh, very, very little uh, point-and-shoot boxes. Yeah. So. So you want to talk a little bit about the lighting, what you're seeing in the lighting Marcel? So?
0: Well, you know, again, just going down through these lists. So when you look at top searches, what you were just mentioning about Line Array, specifically L-Acoustic, um, Vertec as well, JBL Vertec. But, you know, the next top search to those is uh, the Grand MA2 console. The, um, you know, the, the workhorse console of the industry is really like the top the third top search for product on our site. And um, so, you know, that's hot right now. And certainly anybody who we are dealing with, any of our larger sellers who have large inventories of them, they're cutting deals and they're getting them out of out of inventory because the Grand MA3 is coming out. So that's part of what's making it so hot. I think part of the searches are probably coming from sellers as well who are starting to panic and, you know, what are they selling for? What are they selling for? So they're constantly checking the prices on our site to see what what is trending uh, on the price. Um, then you get into just some generic uh, searches like use stage lighting, use lighting. Um, used moving heads. Uh, one that I was surprised to see was Ayrton moving head. So I didn't realize that Ayrton was getting super popular, but it's it's a pretty uh, pretty common search on our site, and people are looking for those used. So again, if you uh, bought into some of the Ayrton stuff at some point over the last few years, I don't even know what their products are really called, but I know they have the magic panel and. Uh one Dream thing I will yeah. yeah, one thing I'll say about Ayrton is I think they do the most incredible demos. Uh you know, these YouTube videos that they do of demos and their trade show demos are just unbelievable. I'm not sure who creates those or or programs them, but you know, I've always been a big trade show light show kind of guy and Uh, I think you can, uh, you can uh, attest to that, you know, us in high end back in the days fighting back and forth on who had the better light show at LDI that year or whatever. But um, I I appreciate a great light show and Ayrton does it. So um, yeah, I mean, outside of that, really, when you get into sales, as opposed to searches, uh, top items are, uh, Mac 101's always up there on the list. Um, certain types of dimmers are up there on the list, which is strange because dimmers are almost non-existent these days. Um, Mac auras remain, you know, a, a real, uh, that's a real quality light for sure. has good longevity. The Mac aura really kind of became the go-to staple of the, of the moving head wash light. For a long time, and and uh, same with the 101. I mean, on a smaller scale, the Mac 101 still does really, really well. Color Blaze 72s, I'm guessing that was just a couple of big sales because those aren't really that hot for us anymore. Um, of course, Verilites, various forms of Verilites. Who makes a Q Wash 560Z? Is that uh, Chauvet? Chauvet, I believe, yes, yeah. So that's up there on the list. So you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag where. It used to be, and and this list changes as time goes on. So you know, if you take a snapshot five six years ago, you'd have the Mac two thousand, the VL three thousand. Um, you'd have very specific light fixtures. One thing that is interesting is you got to go down to about line twenty before you see a Clay packy fixture, uh, and that is the Sharpie Wash three thirty. So um, I know a year or two ago Sharpies were the hottest thing going. So This is again it's an evolution we're building tools now to be able to present that information much better to our audience so that when you are looking at your inventory and you're looking to sell items you can come and use seller tools on our site that can not only help you decide what to charge but it can help you decide what to sell like you might think, Hey, I need to sell those 50 lights over there and you get on our site and you plug that in and it says, if you have any of these, you'd be better off selling these over here because these are the items that are, you know, really at top value right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, our pricing module certainly helps that. That's an algorithm as you know, Marcel, where, you know, it, it analyzes the overall trend, takes a sample of the trend, and then tries to give you relatively accurate pricing. We're about 85% accurate on that, which is, which is pretty amazing um, yeah. when, you, when you go into the listings form.
0: Yeah, if, uh, I, if I go back to the lighting companies here for a second, though, um, I would have to say that if I'm looking at this list, which is probably about 25, top 25 items, I guess, um, I would have to say that Martin is still dominant. Uh, which kind of surprises me a little bit, I guess, but on the used market, Martin is absolutely dominant. The funny thing is the company that's really, or the companies that are very dominant in the, in the new market, I would say are Roby and Elation probably, um, are really nowhere to be found on this list. So I don't see a single Elation fixture or Roby fixture. When you look at the top 25 products, uh, from a quantity standpoint, that's... (laughs) It
1: it remains to be seen, really. You know, when you talk about newer Roby product, obviously that's the hottest stuff out there. And BMFLs are still super, super, super hot sellers. But it's going to be interesting to see which way, like when the BMFL finally becomes obsolete, does it go the way of, you know, the Comar CF7 or the older Mac 2000s, where you see just this catastrophic price fall off? Or does it have, you know, more longevity than that? So you know, there's not enough of them physically out in the market when you compare BMFL sales to, you know, the way Cyberlights were or Mac 2000s are, Vipers Auras. are. Even Aura's. Or- yeah, right? Yeah. So that remains to be seen. Um, you know, the longevity of the Elation stuff, as we all know, that's uh, that hits a price point. I know Eric Loader has spent a lot of time focusing on quality of gear and really bringing customers what they want. But really, where is... Where is the resale value of today's current hot demand gear going to be five years from now, or will it be completely consumed, like some of the other brands are, where it's just you dispose of it, it goes to an e-waste company or,
0: or you know into well, the dumpster? And and I mean you mentioned you mentioned Elation. Um, I think that they're probably at the pointy end of the of the let's call them Chinese importers or Chinese brands. Uh, Alation makes very, very good product. They're a, a rapidly growing company, excellent company, excellent brand, great management. Um, but when you look at these Asian companies, what I find is that they innovate uh, very rapidly and they're constantly evolving. And what that does, we talked about this on a prior podcast. You know, We talked about the IntelliBeam and the longevity that the IntelliBeam or Cyberlight or Mac2000 had where you could buy them today and use them for five years and it's still the hottest light five years from now. And, um, you know, the, the issue that you have with some of the other companies is like platinum, you know, if you buy the platinum one within eight months, there's a platinum one R or a platinum one B or a platinum two. And then you buy the platinum two thinking it's God's gift to, to moving lights. And there's a platinum two X or a two XL or whatever. (laughs) And so, you know, this is the problem in the rental company business is you always seem to have yesterday's gear, yesterday's hot gear, and it's really hard to stay in front of that school bus that's trying to run over you uh, that always wants you to have the newest shiny thing. And just like in any business, you kind of have to avoid the shiny things and you have to sit down with the lighting designer who is going out with... uh, You know, some band from the 70s that's, you know, reunited and they're going to play, you know, fairs and festivals and stuff. Um, And but they have to have the new platinum 27,000 XL. And, (laughs) you know, you couldn't get away with the 25,000, you know. Uh, are you really gonna sell less tickets or or have a less successful tour? So I, I think that's a relationship between you know maybe the tour accountant uh, and the lighting designer and the production manager and and the lighting company, where you know it has to be feasible for everybody and and make some sense. So
1: what's kind of interesting also out of this list is you don't see a lot of special effects, you know, single use gags in here. It's a pretty rock solid list of gear where they're, the, the fixtures themselves and the sound equipment and everything else is multipurpose, right? So you're not, you're definitely not seeing, um, you know, even though the Sharpie wash is in there and you know, some of the Sharpie stuff is in there, you're not seeing th- these gag lights
0: uh, right. for lack of a better term. Other than maybe have. the atomic 3000, I see atomic 3000 yeah. on there. Uh, again, that could be one big sale to, you know, somewhere else in the world or whatever, because I know even the, the atomics, have been replaced by a lot of the LED strobes these days, so that's become much more popular because they are more multi-use. You can use them as a wash light in one look and as a strobe in the next, so. um, But yeah, I I think one of the other things you did yesterday when you were looking at this list uh, was that you sorted it differently and you sorted it by dollar value instead of quantities and then you started to get into some of the big video gear, video walls, uh, LED screens, you know, large format, you know, uh, projectors or whatever. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, you know, so obviously, you know, those are bigger ticket items. So when you search, you know, when you search that by a few sales or what, you know, what we would consider as a high amount of sales, five, six, seven, eight sales of that one category, yeah, you get a totally different view. So, I mean, you know, pre-owned line arrays are, are huge. Um, obviously the demand for video walls and it's kind of interesting when when we talk about led video walls uh there is still a high demand for pre-owned video walls so long as it's supported in the united states right so definitely you know so six millimeter walls some people still buy eight millimeter tiles and 12 millimeter tiles um which is which is interesting that in terms of new sales is completely dead but for people that are just looking to break into the Uh, the LED wall business where they can pick up, you know, tiles at a hundred bucks a piece and build a decent wall and go out and build their production business. I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, You know, large format video projectors, believe it or not, while they've fallen off a lot in value, they're still not dead and gone yet. And from what I understand and talking to people about the new laser projectors is that their output tends to go down. And, you know, once you do that, I believe the engines are not replaceable and don't hold me to that, but the concept of relamping fixtures or, you know, lamp based video projectors is still pretty good. We, you know, we stole, we sold what a huge pile of HD twenties a few days ago. So I I found that certainly, you know, quite interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously the other, I guess thing that, that, I would look at on this list as being, you know, a little bit distracting or not necessarily true is when we're getting into systems like a line array system versus, you know, just looking for SB 28 subs or whatever. Um, a system is not going to show up on here because while we may have sold hundreds of vertex cabinets, we've probably only sold 20 vertex systems. So it's not going to show up on our most popular items list. Um, so, you know, again, if we were to sort it by dollar value, we'd come up with a completely different list and maybe we'll do that on, you know, one of the next top gear, uh, geezers of gear episodes. But, um, for today, really that's, that's kind of what we wanted to cover was just what are people searching for? What are top search terms coming into our site? And what are some of the items that we're selling in the highest quantity today? And hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea on where to go with your listings or your gear uh, as you're listing this stuff on Gearsource.com. And remember, uh, this is me closing out this week. So Henry, do you have anything to say before I close out? No, looking
1: forward to getting Andrew Gumper on in uh, another week or two here that's gonna be a really really interesting conversation that we're gonna have right and yeah actually totally... Andrew,
0: Andrew is in Miami right now I spoke with him yesterday and uh, we're just trying to set aside the time to get this done I'm I'm uh, pretty confident he's probably down here working on ultra plans um, getting ready for for the big ultra event uh, this year so um I'm guessing that we will be recording that uh, sometime by Monday-ish, and we should have it up online by mid-next week, and so uh, that'll be great. So I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm also looking forward to the Greg Godovitz-Gotto uh, interview. Again, Gatto is the guy who who wrote our theme music that goes into this podcast and out of this podcast. Um, Gatto's you know, a music historian up in Canada, and has been around a long time, and uh, uh, he'll be a really fun interview. And hopefully, he'll be a multi-time guest where we'll get lots and lots of information out of him over the next couple of years. So, thank uh, thank you everyone for thank you yeah. your incredible response to our podcast so far. Who knew that a couple old guys could uh, gather an audience, and we seem to have done exactly that. So keep them coming, please uh, comment and. Uh, subscribe and do all the things that you do to a podcast that you enjoy listening to and we'll try uh, keeping fresh content coming your way.